Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think who has ever played the guitar or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot. not ashamed to say that I've loved you well. I'm not ashamed to let you know I'm just a name, that's all. Scratched upon your wall. You've used it well, but what the hell? That's what walls are for. This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates Gordon Lightfoot's music song by song, a proud member of the That's Not Canon podcast network. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and with me today is a fellow Lightfoot fan from Portland, Oregon, Clover Cameron. Clover, welcome to Carefree Highway Revisited. Thank you. How did you first get into Gordon Lightfoot's music? You know, I don't even remember the first time I heard his music. I was born in 73, and my parents actually tell a story about my uncle coming to visit and help out when I was born. And he was a pretty good musician. And he had recently discovered Lightfoot and he introduced them to him, I believe, on that trip. So he's literally been around in my life, my whole life. That's fantastic. Very similar to me. I was born in 72 and I can remember hearing him as early as three years old. So awesome. What to you is the thing that keeps you listening or the thing that drew you and still draws you to Gordon's music? You know, I feel like he speaks to me where I'm at, no matter where I am in life. I've, Of course, you can relate to this being virtually the same age as me. You go through a lot of stages in life and it feels like there's a song for every stage or there's an album that I will gravitate to. Walls was first became meaningful to me really in high school. It, it really spoke to me where I was at then. There was an album of his, Cold on the Shoulder, that I was obsessed with in college. Now I find myself going back to some of his very, very early stuff. I've, I've been listening to Boss Man lately. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. So, yeah, it, it just feels like he has such a, a range of material that carries such covers such a broad portion of the human experience that there's always something. Well said. I mean, people have said the phrase soundtrack of my life, and it's become a <laughs> bit of a cliche. But I think, you know, Lightfoot speaks to a lot of us that were born in the early 70s, and we've just continued the journey with him as we're continuing our own journey. What about your experiences seeing Lightfoot perform? I was trying to figure out how many times I've seen him perform, probably somewhere between half a dozen and 10. I don't remember the exact count. I didn't start saving ticket stubs until I was in my 20s. So, <laughs> I, I think that's when it starts to become a token that right, you know, hey, right. I have that. I don't even know if people still do that anymore. I don't there's... know either. I haven't been to a show in quite a long time. 
Well, yeah, and it's also there's so much that's done on devices now that yeah. you can say pictures or you know videos or something like that. You've met Gordon on at least one occasion, if I remember yep. correctly. What was yeah, that experience like? It was actually kind of a crazy experience how it all happened. We went to his show. We we got there a little bit early. We were chatting with the people in the seats next to us, and the woman next to us wasn't a huge fan of his. She was somebody who was just kind of connected in the music business, and she'd gotten tickets to the the show, and she had a backstage pass, and she. Apparently, she'd been thinking about giving it to us from when she first started talking to us. And then at intermission, she ran into my mother in the restroom and she took that as kind of a sign. And she's like, you know, I want you guys to have my backstage passes. I think it would mean much more for you to meet him than for me. So that's how we wound up meeting him. Twist of fate. Yeah, total twist of fate. (laughs) What Mm -hmm. are the odds? I was mostly taken by how small he was. He wasn't very tall. And I, He'd been such a towering figure in my mind. I I think that I was probably in my late teens at that point, and I expected him to be, you know, twelve times the size of God. He's just this, <laughs> an ordinary man, to quote him. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking a minute ago. Someone said, "Never meet your heroes," because you're bound to be disappointed. But it sounds like at least the performance that you saw that night did anything but disappoint. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah. I've never seen a bad show from him. That's great. Now, you wanted to talk about walls, and you alluded to the idea that it was really meaningful to you when you were in high school a second or two ago. You said that. Any anecdotal stories having to do with the song that you want to share here? Well, when I met him, I actually said something to him. I'd I'd seen him several times at that point, and I said, hey, why do you never play walls? And he gave this kind of weary little laugh and he said it's too depressing (laughs) (laughs) it's not the happiest song he's ever written that's certainly true but i mean when you were in high school why did it mean so much to you i found myself thinking about this a lot last night like why did i love that song so much and i still love the song don't get me wrong but but now i tend to be more attracted to the song just because it's a great song it has a great sound to it it's just a cool song Like, even if it was in some other language and I didn't understand the lyrics, I'd think, this is a great song. There's some cool musicianship going on in this song. But at that point in my life, I was thinking back on this. I was 25 before I had my first requited crush. Okay. (laughs) I, I was like one of those sad little nerds who was always madly in love with someone who didn't know I existed. And there actually aren't a lot of songs for people in that situation. If you think about the the songs that are out there, there's songs about being happily in love. There are songs about love lost. But there aren't a lot of songs about when you're that person who's into somebody who's not into you. And I found it a very affirming song. He was like, it's fine. I'm not ashamed. And to me, that was a message. Don't be ashamed. You know, this this is a thing that happens. This is human experience. I found it encouraging that Gord's been through this. I can survive. (laughs) Yeah. And as you're saying that, you're making me think that the presence of his name on this wall could be just this transient list of people. Oh, okay. Well, this is kind of my speed dial for the early 70s or the (laughs) mid 60s, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, although I had a slightly different take on what the whole thing is for. (laughs) Yeah. 
you talked about the musicianship and the thing I liked about it is that it showed him in really vocal prime. I mean, the melody just goes all over the place. And it's certainly not a boring song to listen to. It breaks a lot of the rules that I was taught when I took music theory in college, saying, okay, you're not supposed to have an interval between notes that goes further than a fifth. And it's pretty obvious to me that he's jumping way beyond that. But it worked. So more power to him. What to you is the best setting in which to listen to the song? Would it be while you're working, while you're driving, outside, inside, daytime, nighttime? All of his music is road music to me. I grew up always living a, a decent distance from, we'd do the big trip to town to shop for groceries. I, we lived in the country for much of my life. And even at the times in my life when my parents and I couldn't agree on anything else, there was always Lightfoot. So he was always playing in the car. And I can think of so many nights sitting in the backseat, driving along the river road, singing along with my dad would make these wonderful mixes of just lots of different stuff from lots of different albums. There's still times I'll be listening to him and a song will play and I'll expect the next song to be a certain song. And I'm kind of surprised when it's not because I heard it on my dad's mix in that order so many times. When we do mixtapes, which is another 80s thing, you're so used to hearing things in a certain sequence so that when the next song on the radio or somebody else's CD or whatever it might be, you're saying, wait a second, you just flipped the record or you put a new record into the machine or whatever. <laughs> yeah, driving for me also, and I get a lot of this when I'm driving through Northern California on the way to where my in-laws live, which is right on the Oregon border, and we have to drive through the Redwoods. And a lot mm -hmm. of times I'll be listening to Lightfoot or if I'm not, because my family's asleep in the car, I'm thinking, man, I wish I was listening to Lightfoot right now because <laughs> it would be just a perfect accompaniment to the landscape that we've got here. Well, Clover, I've been looking around to try to find out what the genesis of this song was. And I came up pretty much empty on why he wrote this or what the circumstances were. But while I was doing the research, a thought struck me, which is that this is kind of the total opposite of For Lovin' Me, where in the For Lovin' Me, you have this very nasty attitude saying, you know, I, I got you. And then this is the reverse of that, where the person who was got in some way is this is their point of view. We'll be right back to our conversation about walls with Clover Cameron, but first a word from a podcast partner or two. Victorian Periodical Parade. Hey, this is our new podcast. We're going to make this podcast. It's going to be Victorian. It's going to be new. It's going to be us reading and then breaking it down in the same episode. Be excited. Listen to these horror stories that are actually going to be similar to your life today. This is the transition episode where we go from YouTube, Facebook into the podcast. This is what we're planning on doing. We have content already. Go ahead and watch, listen on YouTube and Facebook. Um, but now it's pretty much just audio only. So we're going to bring it to you in an audio format. And uh, here it is. We're going to narr narrate a book and then we're going to break it down into the things that you have learned about the Victorian era and then the, the crossover between the Victorian era 
everyday life to the 21st century everyday life, right? Victorian Periodical Parade. Victorian Periodical Hey, I just wanted to take a second and tell you about my latest podcast discovery. Fire Breathing Kittens is an actual play one-shot podcast that plays various tabletop role-playing games with a season-long plot. Because there's a beginning and an end to each week's story, you can start at any episode. Yeah, you won't miss a thing. Every week has a different combination of four from the same rotating cast of people. Join Fire Breathing Kittens as they solve detective mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. That's Fire Breathing Kittens podcast. Check it out. Well, let's get into the lyrics a little bit. I'm not ashamed to say that I've loved you well. I'm not ashamed to let you know. I'm just a name that's all scratched upon your wall. And my initial response to this was this person, and ostensibly it's a woman that he's talking about, it really gets mm-hmm. around and she has him on the wall as if it was a notch on her belt or an mm-hmm. achievement or something to say, okay, I've conquered this and scratched upon your wall means that it was done kind of casually, not as if this is anybody that was really honorable. It was just kind of, okay, one more down, check the box. <laughs> so am yep. I on the right track there? Yeah. Feeling kind of used. Yeah. And abused. You've used it well, but what the hell? That's what walls are for. It's a trophy case for this woman. It's a display saying, okay, Gordon, you know, Manny, Moe, Jack, and, you know, this (laughs) probably very long list. And again, it harkens Mm -hmm. back to, I've had a hundred just like you. Yes. To quote him. (laughs) I'm not ashamed to listen to the fast falling rain in the morning upon my window. I'm not afraid to cry. And... I'm thinking about his tears being the rain rather than the actual rain, because I don't know why anybody would be ashamed of listening to the rain. We all do it, or at least we hear the rain. Do you think he was taking the metaphor that far? Um, so my degree is in English. I wrote a lot of poetry when I was younger, and I tend to think that it's easy to assign too much meaning to lyrics when sometimes they're just going for what sounds cool? What evokes a vibe? And I feel like, of course, there would be rain falling in a bitter little song like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, or snow might be another one. Or snow. <laughs> yeah. But it certainly <laughs> would be, you know, hey, it's this is not wherefore and why. You know, <laughs> right. where I woke this morning. Something told me this would be my day. I'm not ashamed to try to be your friend once again, because that's what friends are for. This is a little sarcastic. This is something that our generation talks about is the friend zone. You know, Mm -hmm. when you have a crush on someone, it sounds like you and I have both had that circumstance and they're just not that into you. And if there is any sort of confrontation or sort of discussion about it, you're put in the friend zone. And I hear about that from men saying, I've been put in the friend zone. I don't hear it Mm -hmm. by a woman. I don't hear it quite as much from women. And maybe he feels like this is the only way he can stay in touch with this person is to be her friend. But mm-hmm. there's just, it seems like, well, that's what friends are for. And again, I may be reading too much into it. Any thoughts on that particular lyric? Wow, I have to separate my own memories of, and interpretation from what he might have meant. 
because for me, the, it evoked a very particular person who was a, a dear friend of mine, and we hadn't been involved, but I'd been as in love with him as someone that age could be. I, it all seems very naive now, but I wanted to keep being his friend. And he, in kind of turning down my interest in him, he was kind about it. It was just an awkwardness to get through. So to me, it was, how do we get back to this place where we, we can be friends again? And then I see the pivot to that's what friends are for. And then he goes into something different and friends are for sorting out the hangups that we hide. He does that neat little pivot a few times where he's talking about one thing and then he moves on to something else without ever wrapping up the original question. He kind of does that a little bit with every verse. That's what walls are for. And then walls are for something else other than what he was talking about. It's a neat little trick. So I, I don't know quite what meaning I ascribe to him in those lyrics again. <laughs> the question for me is, friends are for sorting out the hangups that we hide. Walls are shutting out the love we feel inside. And that's beautifully said. And I do enjoy the pivot there in lieu of a chorus. He's just kind of using that structure a couple of times. It makes you wonder, though, is this woman going to let him help her sort out her hangups or is she pushing him behind a wall and moving on? There's oh, I think it's idea. definitely the second one. Yeah. But it is that yeah. whole idea of the wall. Now, it's not just a place to post things. It's also a place where you shut yourself away from the world or yeah. away from something you don't want to feel. I actually have kind of a funny anecdote about that, that mm -hmm. particular line about shutting out the love we feel inside. When I was at the age where I was really into that album, I'm also a pretty good amateur calligrapher and I had things all over my wall in my room poems and song lyrics and things like that that I'd written and, and decorated in various ways. It, it was definitely an outlet for all of my big, big feelings. And I had written the lyrics to that song on my wall, but it, it happened that we didn't have a lyric sheet for that album. It had gotten lost in the shuffle somewhere and been replaced by something else. So I, I didn't have access to the lyrics for that song. And I thought the lyrics were walls are for shouting out the love we feel inside because I thought you <laughs> wrote it on the wall. You wrote, you wrote the name of the person you love on your wall. You, you wrote the things you couldn't say to people on your wall. Oh, so. <laughs> like a graffiti wall. Exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Walls are for shouting out. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, you could say that a wall would be like a canvas or a blank page. Yeah. 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 And I carefully picked a writer metaphor there that <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate I'm not ashamed to talk it over once again, to rearrange my vocabulary. And I have to stop there for just a second. I think that's the first time I ever heard the word vocabulary used in a song because there's five syllables. I mean, that's four syllables more than most pop songs words had in those days and maybe even now. And I think it says a lot that he was able to fit it in and make it work. But he's trying to express how he feels to this woman. Because he's apparently tried to express how he feels about her in all kinds of different ways, and she's just not getting it. Either she's not getting it or she's not even trying because she's just not that into him. Right, right. And I can relate to the kind of frustration that he feels as someone who's in love or believes that he's in love and he's doing the metaphorical, okay, the wine and the candy and the roses and the mm -hmm. poetry and mm -hmm. all of this. And it's just 
a neutral zone. You know, you're just not yeah. getting yeah. it. Without going into too much detail, I know I've had that experience. Have you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And when words are kind of your business, as is the case with, with him, the, the lyrics to the songs that he wrote, or me with my writing, when when you find that words are ineffective, it's it's like, what am I supposed to do? This is my best weapon. <laughs> yeah. And that brings us to the next line of this. I can't seem to find any words to change your mind because I left them all behind and that's what words are for. Now, he may be using some poetic license thinking, okay, I need something else that rhymes with find and mind. How do you leave words behind? George Carlin once said that words are all we have and thoughts become translated into words. So is he talking about, I gave up trying to win your heart with words until I tried something else? What do you think he means by that? I don't know. I mean, it could be that or it could be love has reduced me to a blithering wordless idiot. Um, <laughs> that's an experience <laughs> Another one we can all relate to. So yeah, you're just so speechless. And I think a lot of us love at first sight again, another cliche, but I think there are probably some times where you see someone and you're just kind of you don't know what to say or you can't remember your name charlie brown and the little red-headed girl you know that that yes. kind of thing yeah and then the false ending on this and i actually the first time i heard this song you know i thought oh well that's you know you know nice way of ending it it's kind of a sad song but it's well done and I was reaching for the stop button. And then I'm not ashamed. And it's going on with this verse about socks. And I kind of went, blah, 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 blah. wait a minute, what are you doing? And I'm not really sure why he did that, but it was a nice adding of humor to that. I mean, he's been talking about words and walls and all this poetic stuff. And now he's talking about his old gray socks. So that was funny, but. The false ending, any speculation on why he did that? Because he wasn't talking and certainly he can't reveal the secret to us now. I don't know. I thought about it a lot and I, I don't have any idea why it's such an unusual thing to encounter in a song at all. And I don't think he's done it in any other song. I can't think of one. Can you? He did that a little bit in Canadian Railroad Trilogy at the very end where he said, yeah, many are yeah. dead men. but. That wasn't conclusive. It wasn't a tonal chord that he was ending on. And even if you were hearing that song for the first time, you'd still get the feeling he's got more to say yeah. um, musically, although it is at the very end. So he has this long pause. It's for dramatic effect. This is not so much for dramatic effect as kind of an afterthought. And it's delightful I just don't know exactly why he did that, except maybe to add some levity to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe he and, did it just because it's delightful. Well, yeah. Why not? Exactly. And then we end and it ends with some finality after that. Yeah. We'll be right back to our conversation about walls with Clover Cameron. But first, a word from a podcast partner or two. In 1942, when the world needed a hero to fight the forces of evil, a woman had the courage to step forward. Her name was Helen Meeker. Her adventures took her across the United States and behind the lines of both 
the European and Pacific fronts. President Franklin Roosevelt trusted her judgment. Adolf Hitler put a price on her head. And in the face of overwhelming odds, she battled through everything that was thrown at her, dodged death countless times, and challenged the most diabolical figures in history. The star of more than 20 novels, Helen Meeker proved her grit and determination time and time again. And now the Long Highway players bring the book series to life on the airways. These exciting dramas will place you in the middle of the action, immerse you in riveting drama, plunge you into unimagined intrigue, and confound you with dark mysteries, while giving you the opportunity to live adventures in a time when the fate of the world hung in the balance. Enjoy the exploits of Helen Meeker and follow author Ace Collins's In the President's Service series on That's Not Canon Podcast Network. Hi, this is Audie Martello, the host of the Mostly Folk Podcast, a 60-minute foray into the music we all love. You will hear newly released albums, classic folk, country, and bluegrass music, as well as some traditional music that may or may not be true to the genre. Sometimes irreverent, often opinionated, but always entertaining. You may even hear a radio magic trick every so often, as well as numerous interviews via Zoom and telephone with established as well as indie artists. Mostly Folk is available wherever you listen to podcasts and always at mostlyfolk.org. Well, the song was on The Way I Feel, and you were talking about getting into his early stuff. This is pretty early in his career. Um, It was his second original album. It was recorded in 1966 and then released the following year. John Court was the producer. I think he had produced the first Lightfoot album, but according to the people that were there, John Court might as well not have even been there that Gord and Red and John Stockfish and Charlie McCoy and anybody else who played on that, they were pretty much handling things. So this mm-hmm. is a not particularly produced, with a capital P, record. Sure. It was the first song on the record. It was not released as a single. And the false ending may have been the reason for that. Or maybe <laughs> the record company just said, we're not hearing any singles on this. And the album didn't chart anywhere, but it did show that he was progressing as a songwriter. We've talked a lot about the words. Is there a musical aspect of the song that you really liked? I like the uh, counterpoint to the the words are about this kind of serious, weighty, depressing subject. And then it's got this very lilting kind of rhythm. It, it has great energy. It kind of reminds me of a Smith song in that way, like like this real downer of a song, but it sounds great. <laughs> it's almost cognitive dissonance when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, you've got this upbeat musical arrangement and these really sad lyrics about heartbreak and all the rest of that and being used. And I think about what Richie Havens said when he r- recorded the San Francisco Bay Blues. And if you think about it, I got my blues from the baby about the San Francisco Bay. An ocean liner took her so far away, or however it sounds. And it's this bouncy, (laughs) upbeat song. And Havens heard that song and said, this is terrible. 
because if I were recording this, I certainly wouldn't be doing it like that. And then so he went on to record it. I got the blues from my baby down by the San Francisco Bay. And it's a lot more soulful. Somber. Yeah. yeah. Somber. Okay. We might be another way of saying it. Yeah. I think my favorite musical aspect of it is I didn't hear any drums or percussion on this and he didn't need it. Yeah. John Stockfish and Gordon's 12 string were providing all the rhythm you needed. And then I liked Charlie McCoy's harmonica solo. I wasn't sure that it was necessary, but I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, it's cool. It worked really well. And he's, well, I don't know if he's still around, but he certainly was a very accomplished session musician, was old Charlie McCoy. And those are the people who played on this. Again, there was a drummer and a percussionist. It might have been Kenny Buttry, but I didn't hear him on this. And Gordon played piano on the record, but there's no piano in this song. The thing that got me about this, you had said in our correspondence that Lightfoot didn't play the song anymore because it was too depressing or too sad. What stunned me, Clover, he only played the song one time. One um, time. Live, <laughs> yes. And that was way back in October of 1968, just up the road from me at the Fillmore West, which of course has since shut down. And I'm wondering, I kind of feel like he could have given it more of a tryout in front of live audiences. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on that? Wow. I wonder what the specific resonance of it was for him. I wonder if it related to a very specific person and experience and he wrote it and kind of felt like, well, I got that out of my system and I don't want to play that song anymore. Yeah. We're, done. We're done with that. Not doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. the, that was kind of the vibe that I got when I spoke with him about it. He like it was clear he did not want to talk about the song because I had questions about the false ending and stuff like that. I would have loved to when I asked him why he didn't play the song, I was hoping maybe we'd get to talk about the song. And it was very clear from the way he answered the question that we're not talking about the song. So if he doesn't want to talk about it and he doesn't want to play it, then maybe that's an indication that that subject is closed. I think uh, that subject is closed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The other thing about the timing on this is that October 1968, by that time, he's got a new record out. Back Here on Earth has been released. Did She Mention My Name was probably in the can and was about to be released within the next month or two. So there may have been absolutely no point in playing it any further. They have a similar point. vibe, the two songs, a similar sound, I think. Are you talking about Did She Mention My Name? Yeah, the instrumentation. They sound like songs that come from the, the same period, the same energy, even though the lyrics are very, very different. They play them one after the other. They both kind of roll along the same way. They, well, it makes me wonder, he did... Did she mention my name as a medley with For Love and Me? But to mm -hmm. do a medley between Walls and Did She Mention My Name might have been interesting <laughs> because, you know, that here's this so bitterness, but then you fast forward. Hey, did she mention my name? And I bet you they're in the same key. I haven't checked it out, but it wouldn't be hard to rearrange that. So, John McLaughlin, if you're listening, maybe this is something you want to try. <laughs> and that brings us to the covers. I found five list covers. I couldn't find any recordings of them. Tony Rice, who's done a lot of Lightfoot stuff. Bobby V, which really blew my mind because you don't think of Bobby V as having anything to do with folk music. He was more of a 50s teen set kind of thing. 
White Knight Instrumental, Patty Miller, and The Unintended. Clover, have you heard any of the covers? And is there somebody that you would like to hear cover the song who is still around in music? I have not heard any of the covers, and The Unintended is such a great band name. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anybody um, that you could think of that might be able to carry it off? I would love to hear the Indigo Girls cover this song. I think they would just kill it. I think it would be so good. Ah, okay. So you not only do you have the folk tradition, if you want to call it that, but also coming from a female point of view. I like that. I'd kind of like to hear Kenny Chesney do it. It does have a country beat to it. It was recorded in Nashville. So why not? Tell us a little bit about your work. You do have a few articles about artists and other things. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a contributing writer for Art of the West. So you you can find me there. Great. Clover, you're also a a newlywed, are you not? Uh, Relatively, yeah. I mean, we've been together for a long time. We basically got married because we were selling our house and we could double the capital gains exemption. So, (laughs) you know, romance isn't dead. All right. Well, there you go. And as long as you're happy, that's the important thing. We're so happy. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay. Well, Clover Cameron, thank you so much. This is a hidden gem of a song. And it's always nice to talk to someone who appreciates the early stuff. So thank you for taking the time today to talk to us. And we hope to have you on the show again very soon. Thank you. This is super fun. I love your show so much. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you like this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your listening matter. Our website is www.lightfootpodcast.com. I'd like to make a special request for you to visit my Patreon page. I love this show so much, and I want to keep it going, and you're in a position to help. Please head over to www.patreon.com slash carefreehighwayrevisited. A dollar or two a month is all I ask. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Well, our next episode will be coming out in late September, and it will feature my guest Tim Golding from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, and he and I will be discussing Highway Songs from the old Dan's Records album, which came out in 1972. Until then, for Clover Cameron, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. 
Code Program.